tonight. Um, as you know, here in the sanctuary for our Bible class, we have been going through um, uh, we've been going through the key figures of the Bible, and um, uh, we started uh, with Abraham. And I showed this. How many of you uh, were here last week and we saw the little graphic on the screen? How many of you were here? Okay, okay, good. I'm going to go ahead and put it back up there because it's a great. Uh, it's just a, another great visual um, for us. Uh, but if you were not here, this just gives you a little bit of a timeline of what we've been talking about in the Old Testament. So uh, we see that uh, it starts there with creation. And then where you, when you get the universal history there, okay, what, what's going to be included in that, obviously, um, is, uh, is, is the fall, okay, Adam and Eve and that whole thing. And then out of that, uh, you get, uh, you know, Cain and Abel. All these stories are happening in the first of, of the book of Genesis. Um, then you're going to get uh, Noah and the ark. Okay, all of that's happening here. Uh, the flood, uh, Noah and his family are saved on the ark. They begin to repopulate the earth out of that. Are you going to get the Tower of Babel um, in this time as well? Um, and uh, that's where they were all speaking one language. They started to build this tower towards, uh, towards heaven. I believe that's uh, Genesis chapter 11. And then in Genesis chapter 12, we, we have the call of Abraham. Okay, So God says, man, I've, uh, there's all these, all these people all, all over the earth now, but, but I need a people for myself. I need a people that, that belong to me, a people that listen to me, a people that, that we can do life together. And uh, that was the call of Abraham. And so that's where we started. We started talking about Abraham. Abraham is the father of, our, of, of faith, and uh, he believed on the Lord. And uh, the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Uh, he didn't have a son. He was old age. God gave him a promise. He waited 25 years. That promise came. Uh, his name was Isaac. Um, and then after Isaac, there was Jacob. We talked about those. Those are the patriarchs uh, of the faith is, is, is what we would call them, the patriarchs. Um, they, they are, um, uh, you know, they're mentioned throughout the Bible. The God, he is the God of, of who? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which speaks to so many things. Um, it speaks to the fact that God is a generational God. He's not just the God of Abraham. He's not just the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. All of them have very different stories, and we can all find ourselves in the midst of all of those stories. So he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we, as we move through uh, the period there of, of the patriarchs, and then we get, to, uh, we get to Joseph there. We also talked about Joseph. Joseph was uh, one of Jacob's sons. Uh, and it was Joseph that was mistreated by his brothers, betrayed, sold into slavery, um, uh, gets into Egypt. Um, when he when he's, gets to Egypt, he is uh, sold as a slave, works in Potiphar's house. Uh, a lot of things go on. He ends up in, in prison. God then uh, takes him out of prison all the way up to the palace, becomes the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Uh, and, uh, and out of that, uh, so much favor in Egypt, uh, so much blessing um, uh, that the, uh, they, they become so blessed, the people of God, the Israelites, uh, they become so blessed uh, that the next Pharaoh takes over, and he doesn't know Joseph the way that the other Pharaoh did. And he says, man, this is not good. You're too powerful. There's too many of you. If you turn against us, man, you could take over our land. And so he enslaves them, makes them slaves. And so for 400 years, uh, the people of God were slaves in Egypt. And then you get the Exodus, okay? That's where Moses comes into the story. Moses comes into the story. Uh, and uh, Moses uh, was, uh, was a Hebrew. He was raised in, in the palace uh, by the Egyptians. So he's a little bit too much Hebrew to be Egyptian, too much uh, Egyptian to be Hebrew. And so he, there he is, and, and uh, he ends up, uh, uh, tries it one moment, didn't work out the, the way that he thought. He thought he was going to stand up for his people, and ah, this is it, this is the moment. He kills uh, an Egyptian and actually.
actually the Egyptians turned against him, the Hebrews turned against him. He runs out into the, uh, into the wilderness, spends 40 years out in the wilderness. God speaks to him in a burning bush. He comes back. Talks to Pharaoh, 10 plagues, you got to let my people go. They come out the Red Sea, uh, then 40 years there in the, uh, in the wilderness, wandering around in, in, in the wilderness, waiting on the promise of God. God said, I have a land that I'm going to give you. It's the land of Canaan. It's the promised land. It's a land that's filled with milk and honey. So that's where God was trying to take them. Um, uh, Moses uh, uh, makes, a, makes a few mistakes there in the wilderness, and God says, you are not the man. Uh, Joshua is going to be the man now, and he's going to take them into the promised land. And so that's where you get the entrance into Canaan. That's where Joshua comes in. They cross the Jordan River. They move into, into uh, Canaan. Uh, but when they, when they cross that, that, that Jordan River, uh, not everybody that was living in Canaan just said, oh, wow, now you're here. Okay, this is your land. God told it was yours. Okay, we're going to pack up and go. That's not what they said. That's why it says conquest. Okay, conquest. They had, the enemy had to be defeated. The enemy had to be driven out of that land. And, and that's where uh, uh, Joshua uh, begins to lead this great conquest. Uh, then you see that the conquest is, is completed. Um, the enemies are, are driven out of the land, or at least most of the enemies are driven out of the land. They didn't completely do it, but, but the conquest is over. Then they enter into the period of the judges. Uh, in your Bible, there is a, a book called Judges, okay? And, uh, and that's where uh, uh, you can read about, uh, about the judges, and, uh, and that's the period there. And then uh, the, the end of the period of Judges, what Destiny taught a few weeks ago on Samuel. Uh, Samuel was uh, what some called the greatest judge. He was the last judge, the first prophet. He was uh, so many, so many different things, um, uh, and uh, and um, and that's at the end of the period of the judges. And this is where Israel's monarchy begins. Uh, so that is where the kingship comes. So what the people do, the people come to Samuel and they say, hey, this has really been great. Uh, we appreciate you, the prophet, speaking for God. We appreciate the judge's rulings, but we want, to be a, we, we want a king. Why do you want a king? Because these other countries have a king. Isn't it amazing that the human nature today is still the human nature over there? We just want what other people have, right? They've got a king. We want to be a king. They look like they're cool people. We want to be cool people. You know. And so they said, we want a king. And uh, Samuel says, no, no, no. He gets offended for God. He says, no, 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 that's not what you want. That's not what you want. People say, no, that's what we want. God says, give them what they want. And so he gives them a, he gives them a king. And uh, we talked last week about Saul. Saul was the first king uh, that we looked at here in the, uh, in the Israel's uh, monarchy. And now tonight we're going to move on and we're going to talk about David. David was the second king of, uh, of Israel. Uh, he is uh, what is uh, often referred to as Israel's greatest king. Um, he's referred to, Jesus is referred to in the scriptures as the son of David, the son of David, a, a great title that is a, a, a messianic title speaking that Jesus is the Messiah because uh, of a prophecy in, in 2 Samuel uh, that, uh, that the kingdom of God would, would forever be in the lineage of David. Uh, so Jesus is in the lineage of David. You can find that in Matthew chapter 1 and in uh, Luke as well. They go through the, the lineage there. Uh, and then in, in Acts chapter 13, uh, God said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Wow, what a great thing for God to say about somebody. This was a man after my own heart, and that's who David was. Uh, so that's just a, a big picture of David's life, and there's so many lessons that we can learn uh, from David. We, we, we could spend 2017 
uh, just talking about the lessons uh, that we can learn from David's life. There, there are lessons to be found in his victories, and he had a lot of those. And there's also lessons to be found in his defeats. And he had his share of, of mess-ups and mistakes as well. And so, so many lessons to learn from David's life. And we're going to look at seven of, of those lessons uh, tonight. Uh, the first uh, period, the first moment, the first lesson that we deal with tonight is rejection. It's really where the story of David uh, picks up in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we're going to start reading in verse 6. But right before this, uh, God comes down and speaks to Samuel in verse 1 of this chapter. And God comes down and talks to Samuel, the prophet. And he says, okay, I'm, I'm done with Saul. Uh, this is over. He says that in the end of 15. And Samuel is mourning. And, uh, and God says, look, you got to stop this. Stop this mourning. I'm finished with him. But I have, I have found another man. I have found a man that is going to lead my people. And he's going to do it my way. And he, he, is, he, is, the, he is the next king. And so he says, I want you to fill your horn with oil, and I want you to go to Jesse's house. And, uh, and he said, when you get to Jesse's house, I want you to anoint one of his sons, who I will show you. And so this is what the Bible picks up there in verse 6. It says, when they arrived, Samuel took. So he's got all of Jesse's sons standing there. And uh, it says, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought Eliab was the oldest son. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. Somebody say amen to that. People judge by outward appearance, but Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward, walk in front of Samuel. And Samuel said, this is not the one that the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shimea, but Samuel said, neither is this the one that the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but... He's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. This is the very beginning of the story of David in the Bible. And we see David sitting in the seat of rejection. You know, we love to look at David's life and we love to talk about he's a man after God's own heart and we love to talk about the fact that he is the greatest king. We love to talk about David killing Goliath. We love the story of David bringing the Ark of the Covenant which represented the presence of God back into Israel. We love these moments of David being crowned king. We love these wonderful moments, these moments that David might be famous for, but that's not where the story of David starts. The story of David begins in rejection. And you can't just look at the later years and you can't just look at the famous years. You have to also look at the early years. There is no palace. There's just a pasture. There is no sword. There's just sheep. There is no crown. There's just a bunch of crows pecking around. There, there is nothing great to talk about where David is here in the place of rejection. But I want to tell you tonight 
that you cannot long for the finish if you aren't willing to lean into the fight. You can't long for the finish if you're not willing to lean in to the fight. You can't long for the crown and long for the applause and long for all of the great things that we love David for. You can't long for that if you're not willing to lean in to the fight because long before David ever ended up in any of those places, long before he was ever eaten off the fine china in the palace and long before the crown ever hit his head and long before any of that ever happened, you see David was out in the pasture and he was tending sheep and he was taking care of the goats. And there's always a story. Anybody that has been successful in anything, there's always a story. And somewhere in that story is pain. Somewhere in everybody's story. It doesn't matter how successful they are, how accomplished they are. It doesn't matter what field they're in. In somebody's story, there is always pain. And it was no different for this King David, this David, it, 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 you know, it, it just can't imagine. Man, this guy wasn't even included by his brothers. His, his father didn't even, didn't, even, didn't even send anybody to get him. And he didn't even have a brother that said, no, man, I'm not going to stand up here if David's not here. He, he was rejected by his father. He was rejected by his brothers. And don't think for a, for a second that this was the first time that he had been overlooked. Don't think for a moment that this was the first time that he had been mistreated, that he had been forgotten, or that he had experienced rejection. Don't think for a moment this was the first time that it ever happened. Because when Samuel brought it up to Jesse and he said, do you have another son? He didn't go, oh man, I'm so, man, it slipped my mind. I forgot because he was out in the field and I didn't send anybody to get him. Oh, let me, let me go make this right. Let me send somebody else out there. He said, don't you have another son? He said, well, yeah, there's the youngest, but... But, but he's just taking care of the goats. He's just taking care of the sheep. He's in his, he is where he belongs because he doesn't belong in this line. He doesn't belong here in the, in, in the potential future king of Israel. That's not where he belongs. He is where he belongs. This is not the very beginning of rejection. This is just a picture of where David has lived. In the seat of rejection. You know, it's one thing if your friend doesn't invite you to the birthday party. But it's a whole nother thing when your father doesn't invite you to the prophet's party. Rejection hurts, and nobody wants to be rejected. But here's what rejection will do. Rejection will either cause you to cry out to the Almighty or cause you to cry in self-pity. That's what rejection does. Re rejection will either cause you to cry out to Almighty God or it will cause you to cry in self-pity. Either it will push you towards God or it will cause you to pull away from God. And the, and the Psalms that David wrote that encourage you today were written out of his pain and rejection. When you open your Bible and you start reading the Psalms and they encourage you, let me tell you where those Psalms came from. Those Psalms, they came from a field that David was in. They came when he was out there with the sheep. They came in the midst of his rejection. They came in the midst of his pain. That's where they came. Yeah, sure they encourage you, but they almost killed him. Sure, it encourages you today because it came out of a place of pain. And I can tell you that some of your greatest revelations will always come out of your toughest situations. The greatest revelation you get about God will come out of the toughest situation of your life. The greatest revelation of his faithfulness will come out of the toughest situation you've ever been in. 
The greatest revelation of his love will come out of the worst moment of your life. The greatest revelation of his grace will come out of your toughest moments. That's where, it, that's where you find it. Your greatest revelations will always come out of your toughest situations. And here David is living in rejection, out with the sheep, not included by his dad, not included by his brothers. And this is where David makes his entrance into the scripture, in the seat of rejection. If you're rejected, that doesn't mean you're disqualified. It's where David started. If you've ever experienced rejection before in your life, can I tell you that you're in good company? Because that's where David's story began. It's, it, it began in the seat of rejection. But you know what? This is what you get to read because David was rejected. You get to read this in Psalm 16. It says, Lord, you alone are my inheritance. I ain't looking to my dad for an inheritance. I'm not looking to my brothers to look out for me. I'm not expecting anybody else to provide anything for me. God, you alone, you alone are my inheritance. Where do, where do you come up with a revelation like that? You come out of a revelation like that because you're in a tough situation. God, you are my inheritance. I'm not looking to anybody else. I'm only looking to you. You, you alone are my cup of blessing. I'm not looking for a favor from my dad. I'm not looking for a handout from my mom. I'm not looking for anything from my sister. God, you alone are my cup of blessing. I come to you whenever I need to get blessed because I know that I can't go anywhere else because I'm in the seat of rejection. It says, you alone are my inheritance. You alone are my cup of blessing. You, you guard all that is mine. Where, where do you get a revelation like that? You get a revelation like that because you're standing in a pasture with tears running down your face and you know there's, a, there's an inheritance and you know there's a destiny and you know there's a purpose and you're saying, can't anybody take what you have for me, God? Even if my dad don't call me when the prophet shows up, God, you will have the prophet call for me and he doesn't even know that I'm out here because everything that you have for me, it's mine. And can anybody steal it? And can anybody take it? Because what? you have for me will be mine where does that revelation come from not from the mountaintop it comes from the place of rejection you alone are my inheritance you alone are my cup of blessing you guard all that is mine it is in good hands God it's in your hands the land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. He goes on in verse 8 and says, I know the Lord is always with me. How, 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 I know the Lord is. How, how many of you have discovered it's so easy to live life when life is easy? It's so easy to be happy when everything's happy. It's so easy to have peace when everything's at peace. It's so easy, but, but what David is talking about here, he says, I know that the Lord is always with me. You don't know that the Lord is with you until you're sitting in the seat of rejection. You don't really know that the Lord is with you until you are in the middle of your storm. You don't really know that the Lord is with you until you have walked through the fires of hell. You don't know that he's with you. And David says with confidence, I know you are always with me because I've sit in the seat of rejection and I have walked through the valley and I have seen that thing and God, I know one thing and that is that you are always with me. Woo, we get encouraged by that today. But somebody had to hurt to write that. God, you are, you are always with me. And he says, I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. 
I'm not going to be shaken. This is what we were talking about, the anchor for our souls. I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken, God, because you are not shaken. You are not surprised by my situation. You are not surprised by my circumstance. You are not surprised by my adversity. And you are greater. Your grace is greater. Your power is greater. Your love is greater. You are greater than whatever I'm facing right now. And because you are greater, I will not be shaken and I will not be moved. And I know that you are right beside me. He wrote this in pain. He wrote this in rejection. My dad's not beside me, God, but you're right beside me. And nobody looking out for me right now, but God, but you're looking out for me. Nobody is standing beside me. I'm out here all alone, all by myself. I'm out here with the wolves, and I'm out here with the bears, and I'm out here with the lions. I'm out here all by myself, but God, you got my back. That's how you write things like that in the, the place of rejection. Here, here's the, the second thing that we learn or that we see in the, in the life of David. Is that There's a moment of realization. There's a moment of rejection. There's a moment of realization. David comes running in. Verse 13 says, So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of olive oil that he had brought, and he anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day on. You see, we've all had a moment like this. If you are a follower of Christ, you, you, you've had a moment like David had. You had a moment where you, you had a realization. He had a realization in that moment. When the, when the prophet poured the oil, he had a realization, wow, that God w- was reaching out to him, that God was, was trusting him, that, that he had a future, a plan. That was what happened for David. But we've all had this moment as followers of Christ. Uh, maybe you probably haven't had a prophet come and pour oil on your head. If you have, I'd love to hear about that. But you probably have never had that. But, but what you have had is you've had God reach down from heaven. And you have felt his touch, and you have had a realization of his love. You have had a realization of his grace. You you have had a realization of his mercy. You have had this realization of of what Romans 5, 8 declares, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You have had that revelation, and when that revelation of his love and that revelation of his grace hit your heart and you said, God, I give you my life, I want to be, be surrounded by that love. I want to be covered by that grace. You had a realization. Whenever you had a realization about eternity, that, that you could spend eternal life with God. This is what Jesus said in John 3, 16. I've come. They, they, uh, excuse me. He, he says, uh, for God so loved the world uh, that, that, that he didn't want anyone to perish, right? That he didn't want anybody to perish, and he wanted all to have what? Eternal life. That's what he said. I want everybody to have eternal life. When you have the realization of John 3, 16, that God wants you to spend eternity with him. That's a realization that will begin to change things in your heart. We've all had this moment of realization. We have a realization. We're talking right now on Sundays um, in our uh, abundant life. It's what, we, it's what we're talking about. Come to life, the abundant life, living the life that God died for you to live right here, not just waiting on eternity. No, I'm going to live abundantly right now, and that's the life that God ha- has called each and every one of us to live. Well, there's a moment of realization when that happens. Okay, Sometimes that happens whenever you get born again. Sometimes you just get, you're just broken, and you just, yes to God, forgive my sins. I have a revelation of eternity. I want to spend eternity with you, but I 
I don't have the revelation of the abundant life until later. But then there's another moment where God visits us and it's like, wow, I get to live in peace. I get to live in joy. I get to live with pace. I get to live with all the fruit of the spirit. I get to live with all of this. That, that's what God has really done. Yeah, there's a moment where we realize there's more to life than what I'm living right now. There's more than just believing that he's God. There's more than just believing that he's Savior. There's more just believing I can go to heaven whenever I die. No, there's more than that. He created me to live a life that is overflowing and abundant right now, today, this very minute, is what I was created for. But you have to have a moment of realization. Moment of realization. A realization when you, have, you realize that the Holy Spirit wants to come into your life and he's not coming just to be, uh, just to be, a, just to be a, a, a buddy. He's coming to empower you. He's coming with purpose. He's coming with purpose. He, he, he's coming to strengthen you. He's coming to, to push you, to propel you. That's what he's coming for. We have a, a realization. We, when you have the realization that the Christian life is not a boring life, but it's the greatest adventure that life has, that, that's a realization that has to hit your mind. You begin to realize, whoa, Christian life, it's not just about reading a devotional and showing up to church once a month. Wow, there's more to this Christian life that I get to be the light of the world, that I get to be the answer to somebody's prayer every single day, that I get to be a walking encourager in people's lives, that I get to be somebody who brings peace and calm and somebody who brings joy. I get to be that person. This is the greatest adventure ever. And that at any moment during the course of the day that God puts me in somebody's pathway, it could be the moment that they step from darkness to light, from death to life. Why? Because I am full of the Spirit of God, and because I'm full of the Spirit of God, anything is possible. And that's got to be a realization. We have this realization. David, David had this, this realization. And what was his realization? God wants to use me. That's what happened when the prophet poured the oil. God wants to use me. I'm God's man. I'm going to be the king. He wants to use me. And can I tell you that that's what God wants to do? God's pouring oil on everybody's head today. Why? Because he wants to use you. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He wants to use you to advance his kingdom. But that has to be a realization. There's got to be a moment of realization. That's a moment of realization here in David's life. Okay, now let's get to number three. The moment of return. The moment of, of return. After, after uh, David got anointed, where did David go? He went back to the field. David got anointed king, but there was no crown that came with the oil. It was just a command from his dad. Get back to your job. The Bible says this in 1 Samuel 17. Verse 14 says, David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. This is right when Goliath is, is doing his thing there. But David went back and forth so that he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. He, he was running food down to his brothers, giving them the supplies that they needed, and then he would have to run back home. Why? Because he had to take care of the sheep. So he would do run the, run the errand for his dad, take them, make sure they had food, make sure they had what they needed down there at the battleground, and then he would run back home and he would take care of the sheep. After this, after this, this, this powerful moment, after this powerful moment of realization, the powerful moment of realization was turned was followed by a return to normality. It was a supernatural moment. Samuel, one of the most powerful men of God in all of Scripture, pours all on your head and tells you that you're going to be the next king. 
And then you get sent back into the field. And now you're just running errands for your dad thinking, man, when, when is that oil thing going to really turn into a crown? What's, how's, this, how's this going to happen? But you know what? We all know what that's like. You've all had a powerful moment of realization in church. And that's followed by going back to your mundane job on Monday. We all know what that's like to be praying in a moment, and all of a sudden the presence of God invades your little prayer time, whether it's in your car, whether it's in your house, whether it's here at church, and you're having a moment of prayer, and the Holy Spirit invades that moment of prayer and just breaks you down, and you have this this special moment. God might even speak something to you. God comforts you in a special way, and then you have to leave that moment of prayer, and you still have to live life with your angry, ungrateful spouse. Why? Because you have to return. Even after your moment of realization, you you have to return. And David had a life-changing moment with the prophet. And then he had to return to the pasture. Here's the lesson. You might have to return to the same place, but you are not the same person. After your moment of realization, you might have to return to the same place, but you are not the same person. David went back to the same pasture, but let me tell you what, David was not the same person. Why? Because it says the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him from that moment on. He had an encounter with God. He got a word from God. He got a promise from God, and his life was never the same again. He went back to the same place, but he was not the same person. That's why you can get a powerful word on Sunday morning, and on Monday morning, you can walk back right into that job, that job that you're not happy with, that job that's not satisfying to you, that job that's just holding you over until you get that next thing, and you can walk back right into that same place, but you are not the same person anymore. Why? Because I have I have a word from God, and I've encountered God, and I can go right back into, into my marriage that's not everything that I want it to be. I can go right back into my situation that's not what I dreamed it would be, and I can walk right back into it. And although nothing has changed about my situation, I have changed. And because I have changed, then I can walk through whatever I'm going through to get where God's trying to take me. You think after the oil hit his head that the sheep didn't stink anymore? Think after after he was anointed, the, the staff in his hand never gave him another splinter? No. He was still alone. He just wasn't the same. He just wasn't the same anymore. My challenge to you is don't allow the pathway back to your pasture to rob you of the power of the promise. Because we all have to return to we all have to return to the pasture. We all have to return to the pasture. That, that, that's what just read read the Bible. I mean, the Bible is an amazing book. The Bible is an amazing book. You know, I, there are so many, so many stories in the Bible that if you just have one story, you can live a life off just, just off of one character. One story, because the Bible is so full. And what you will find from Genesis to Revelation is that there are a lot of promises given, but very rarely does the promise come and the fulfillment come at the same time. Very rarely. I'm standing up right now trying to think of one, and I can't really think of one. But not not many times. I, 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 
does the, does the promise come and the fulfillment come at the same time? No, most of the time you get what David got. He got, a, he got a promise and then he had to go back to the pasture. And here's the thing is that whenever we get a promise from God, a word from God, a revelation from God, a realization from God, and then we have to go back to the pasture, we let the pathway back to the pasture rob us of the power of the promise that God just gave us. Because I don't see it right now. I got that word, but here I am six days later. Still in the same place. Here I am. A year has passed and I'm still stuck in the same situation, dealing with the same things. And we let the pathway to the pasture rob us of the power of the promise that God just gave us. Don't let the pathway back to the pasture rob you of what God intends for you. It was the same field, but he was a new man. The same sheep, but he had a new perspective. It was the same goats, but he had a new dream. Don't, don't let your sheep and your goats and your pasture rob you of what God has for you in your future. He got a word that he was going to be king. He had to return to where he was. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't going to turn up to where God was calling him to go. Here's the fourth thing. The fourth thing is, is, is the rumble. We all experience moments of the rumble. And here we find David doing what he's been asked to do, and he's going down uh, to take care of his brothers. He's bringing supplies, bringing the, 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 the tuna fish sandwiches down there to his brothers. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28, it says, But when David's older brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, so David has, has run the stuff down. He's just, he's just visiting with the, the soldiers there. Goliath is over there doing his thing, barking out uh, all of his comments that we're going to talk about in just a moment. It says that Eliab, the oldest brother, he was angry. Come on, was, it, was, he angry, was he angry that David was talking to the other men or was, or was he angry that David got the oil? Was he, was he really angry that David was having a conversation and asking some questions, trying to get some clarification about Goliath? Was he really angry about that or was he still angry that he wasn't the one chosen? He says, what are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. Man, I'm telling you, you, you got to deal with the rumbles in life. You got to deal with the, the intimidation rumbles, the intimidation rumbles. The intimidation rumbles sound like this. Who do you think you are? Who, who do you think you are, David? Little brother? Who, who do you think you are down here asking these questions? These, these are men down here. You're just a little boy. These are soldiers down here. These, these men, these men have, have fought a lot of battles. These, these men that you're talking to, David, you, you shouldn't even be speaking to them. Who, who do you think you are? And it's the intimidation rumble that the enemy loves to send our way. Who do you think you are? Oh, oh you have the idea to start a small group in your house? Who do you think you are to start a small group? Who do you think you are, little brother, little sister? Who do you think you are? You're not, you're not, you're not qualified. And then he just goes on. So now, now you not only you have, you have the, the intimidation rumble, now he, he moves on. Now you get into the inadequacy rumble. This is what he, just, he says right after this. What are you doing around here? Who do you think you are? Then he moves on. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taken care of? What about those few sheep? He's trying to minimize him. I mean, he, he could have just said, what about the sheep? 
What about, the, he, I mean, he wanted, he wanted to downgrade him as much as possible. What about those few sheep that you're taking care of? The enemy wants you to know, your past is so small. Your capacity is so little. Your talent is so minute. You, what, what about the little things that you used to? Think about the little things that you used to do, just the little things. And you know what? Sometimes you didn't even do that well. Those little, and what's the enemy trying to do? Trying to tell you that you're just inadequate for the task. It rumbles, just rumbling. Intimidation rumbles. The inadequacy rumbles. And there's also the rumble of inaccuracy, because this, this is inaccurate right here. You get the rumble. This is just the lies that, that, that the enemy begins to tell. He says, I know about your pride and deceit. Now, God says, this is a man after my own heart. And God says, there's one thing or seven things that I hate. And number one thing he puts on his list is pride. <laughs> so what is this? This is a lie. There's no pride in David. There's no, he's, I know about your deceit. David's not, what is the David deceitful? He's just, he is running food down, taking care of his brothers. He's making sure he has lunch, making sure he's got deodorant, making sure he's got all the stuff he needs down there on the front lines of the battlefield. He's taking care of his father's sheep. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like pride and deceit. That sounds like a servant. He says, I know about your pride. You know what? The enemy will do the same thing. The enemy will start lying to you about who you are. I know, I know, I know about you. I know about people like you. I've been, I've been around long enough to know. I can, I can spot a phony whenever I see one. I can spot a liar whenever I see one. I know, I know who you are. I know you're so full of yourself. And the enemy will start lying to you about your ability. He'll start lying to you about your capacity. He'll start lying to you about what you can accomplish. And it just, it just rumbles. The, 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 the inaccuracy, the lies of the enemy just begin to rumble. The intimidation just begins to rumble. It, it just starts rumbling in your life. The enemy always loves to rumble. David's just trying to do his job, but he's, he's having to deal with the moment of rumble. Let me tell you, if David dealt with these rumbles, you're going to have to deal with these rumbles too. The rumble of intimidation, the rumble of inadequacy, the, the rumble of inaccuracy. You're going to have to deal with it, these rumbles. Let's move on. I want to get through these tonight. Number five is reliance, the moment of reliance. Now David, he's ready. He heard about the reward. <laughs> That's what Eliab didn't like. David was asking about the reward because he overheard him talking about this is what the person gets that kills Goliath, this great champion Philistine warrior. You, you, you don't have to, your family doesn't have to pay taxes anymore. You get to marry the king's daughter. You get a huge lump sum of money. And David says, I am the man for this job. So he goes and he talks to Saul. And Saul's like, man, you've never fought before. He tries to put the armor on. He can't do it. And uh, David says, let me, let me tell you what. There was a bear that came out of the woods, tried to kill my sheep. I slaughtered that bear. And that's not the only thing that came out. There was a lion too. And let me tell you, that lion didn't even get close to the sheep until I stuck it in its heart. I killed that. And let me just tell you what's going to happen, Saul. Goliath is going to be just like that lion and just like that bear. And I didn't even mention the 14 wolves that I've killed. I'm not even, I mean, they don't even get on the radar. I killed them with my bare hands. You know what I mean? That just kind of stuff. He says, and Saul's going to be just like all of those. David shows up for the battle, <laughs> and this is what Goliath says. Am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? All David had was his shepherd's staff and his sling. That's all he had. 
no sword, no spear, no shield. And this, this Philistine warrior says, is this a, is, am I a dog that you would come at me? What are we going to play, fetch? Come on, what are we doing here? He cursed David by the name of his gods, little g. Come over here. And I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. This is not PG. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men, uh, not just your dead bodies. See, he just said, David, I'm going to give your. David says, I'm, I'm going to give the dead bodies of your men. I'm going to kill you, and then I'm going to kill them too. And I'm going to give their bodies to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with the sword and the spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David ran quickly out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling, hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. A moment of reliance. He says, today, the Lord will conquer you. But I'm going to kill you. Today, the Lord's going to conquer you, but, but I am going to kill you. You see, you're not just, it's not just relying on God when you pray and you don't move. David didn't have a prayer meeting. David ran to the battlefield. And sometimes we find ourselves saying, well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just praying. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just praying and trusting God. I'm just praying. You say, well, how's it looking out there? Well, it's not looking any better than it was. I'm just praying. I'm just praying. How's it looking 30 days later? Oh, it's not really, nothing's really changing. Glass still out there. He's still, he's still taunting. He's still mocking me. He's still doing all this thing. Okay, well, I'm, I'm just still praying. I'm just still praying. Oh, you're praying. How are you in? 60 days in. How's it looking? Oh, Goliath still, he's still, he's still talking me down. How's it looking? Nothing's changing. Well, I'm praying and nothing's changing. Well, maybe it's because God wants you to go out and fight. He said, God's going to conquer you, but I'm going to kill you. What was David saying? David saying, I'm going to trust God to do what I can't, but I will do what I can. And I'm not sitting here waiting on a lightning bolt to come out of heaven and strike you down, Goliath. Why? Because I can kill you myself. I'm not going to sit around and wait for it. The Lord is going to deliver you into my hands, but I am going to participate and I'm going to do what I can do. And he went out there with his shepherd's staff and he went out with his sling and he went out there with his five rocks that he had just picked up out of the brook and he took that, he took that sling and that rock and he sunk it right into that Philistine's warrior's forehead. Let me tell you what, God didn't do that, David did. God conquered, God wanted the man dead. God just needed 
needed somebody that would stand up. He just needed somebody to say, I'm going to rely on God. I can promise you all those other soldiers were praying, God, do something about this. God, deliver us. God, help us. And then David showed up and said, oh, no, 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 we can take care of this, me and God. You see, God's always interested in a partnership. God is not going to just do it all himself. If he wanted to do it all himself, he wouldn't have put you on this earth. If he wanted to do it all himself, he wouldn't have told you to go out and build the kingdom. If he wanted to do it all himself, he wouldn't have told you to go out and be a witness. If he didn't, if he wanted to do it himself, he wouldn't have told you, go out and pray for the sick. If he wanted to do it all himself, he would have just done it all himself. But that's not how God works. God's always looking for a man. He's always looking for a woman who will rely upon him and then they will do their part. I'm relying upon the Lord. I love it. David ran quickly. Why? Because fear paralyzes and faith propels. You know, sometimes you got to run quickly so you don't talk yourself out of it. Sometimes you got to tell people you're starting a Bible study, Bible study or you're starting a group before you even have a chance to really think about it. Do you know some of the greatest groups we, we have here is because, uh, because Destiny started telling people that this person was going to have a group and they didn't even know they were having a group? There's only one way to respond. You got to run quickly. You got to run home quickly and start getting your things ready, you know, because people are coming that night. You didn't even know. They're on their way. You got to run quickly. You got you to run quickly to the battlegrounds. Fear will paralyze you. Fear had paralyzed these people for 40 days. 40 days, Goliath had come out morning and night and had taunted the, the, the Israelite army and nobody had done anything. 40 days and 40 nights. Nobody had done anything. The Bible says they were paralyzed in fear. Paralyzed. Every time that Goliath would come out, they would retreat and be filled with fear. David came down and he ran quickly. Faith, faith, faith is what will propel you forward. And I can tell you this about the journey of faith. If you're walking with Jesus, the journey of faith, the journey of faith will always have Goliath moments for you. Always. Always. And you don't just, I mean, you know, David, David had this, this real Goliath, but David had other Goliath moments. And, and it's the journey of faith. The journey of faith will always make sure that you have a Goliath moment. Why? Because you have to have times where you have to fully rely on God, where you have to fully go after it. You, 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 are, you are not fully prepared. You don't exactly know how it's going to go, but you got to trust God and you got to move. You got to trust God and you got to move. You got to trust God and you got to move. You got to trust God and you got to move. You got to trust God and you got to move. You got to trust God and you got to move. I'm praying about it, yes, but I'm moving now. I'm praying about it, but I'm moving. I'm trusting God and I'm moving. I'm doing what I can do, trusting him to do what only he can do. And whenever you put that together, that's a powerful partnership, and that's when Goliaths begin to fall. Reliance. Here's number five, and let's go through these last real, real quickly. Number five is resentment. Resentment. David kills Goliath. What a great victory. For Israel, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 18, 5, whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. Saul made him commander over the men of war. An, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. They loved David. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had, had killed the Philistine women from, excuse me, when David had killed the Philistine 
women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and they danced with joy, tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. David was just doing his job. Saul is the one that put him there. Saul is the one that asked him to do the job, and David just did it well. And because David did his job well, and the hand of God was upon him, and the favor of God was upon him, and the blessing of God was upon him, and he was having success at everything that he was doing, now Saul is resentful. It's number five, is resentment. Resentment. Can I tell you that you'll always have people who resent your success? Some people that even help you get there will resent you when you get there. Some people that prayed with you to get out of that situation into a new situation, prayed for you to get out of that job into a new job. And now you start making three times as much money as they are, driving a nicer car, used to be their neighbor, now you're moving across town to a better neighborhood, your kids are going to better schools. Now, they, they were praying for you to be blessed. Then you got blessed, and when you got blessed, they resented you. Moments of resentment. We are, you're all going to have to deal with that. You'll have family members that will resent you. We raised up in the same house, and now all of a sudden, every, everything is, is working out for you. All, your, your kids are serving God. Your kids are on the honor roll. Their kids are, are let's just say, not on the honor roll. And they, they resent you. They used to be for you. They used to be encouraging you. They used to be praying for you. They used to be helping you. And now all they are is resenting you, and they're looking at you with a jealous eye. We have to deal with that. It's just people. It's the way people are. Don't hate them. David, David didn't hate Saul for it. It's the way people are. You'll have to deal with moments of resentment. Let's move to number six. Number six is remembrance. Moments of remembrance. 1 Samuel 21, verse 8, David asked Ahimelech, who was a, 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 a priest, he says, do you, do you have a, a spear or sword? David's now on the run, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of hurrying through this. Now Saul, because Saul got jealous, uh, now Saul is, is trying to kill David. David is on the run. David leaves. Uh, Saul's throwing spears at him. David runs out of the palace, and, and uh, he says, do you, he, sh- he shows up a little bit outside of, uh, of Jerusalem here, and, and now he shows up at this place and says, do you, do you have a spear or a sword? The king's business was so urgent that I didn't even have time to grab a weapon. Uh, and what he meant was the king was trying to kill me, and I didn't have time to grab my weapon when I was leaving. He said, and the, the, the priest replies, he says, I only have the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. The priest replied, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Take, take, it, take that if you want it, for there is... For there is nothing else here. There is nothing like it, David replied. Give it to me. David was on the run. Saul was throwing spears and murderous threats. And in this this moment of uncertainty, 
he comes back to a great reminder. He says, do you, do you have a weapon here? And he says, ah, we only have one. He says, but it's Goliath's sword, whom you killed, like David had forgotten that, <laughs> whom you killed in the valley. He says, do you want it? And David said, give it to me because there's nothing like it. There is no other sword like it because it reminds me of the faithfulness of God. It reminds me of the goodness of the Lord. It reminds me that he is my ever-present help in my time of trouble. It reminds me that he is my deliverer. It reminds me that he is my savior. It reminds me that he is my way maker. And right now I'm on the run. And you couldn't have told me that there was anything better in this place than you telling me that sword because now I'm remembering that the one who gave me that sword is way more important than that sword. But that sword lets me remember the one who brought the victory on that day. And if he brought me victory in that valley, he'll bring me victory in this valley as well. The last one is moments of, of, of rain, moments of rain. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, it says David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 40 years and off, 30 years old when he was crowned king. I mean, just from the little that we talked about, I mean, wouldn't you say that David had to go through a lot to get there? <laughs> this is like the major abbreviated version. We didn't even talk about David running, hiding in the cave of Adullam. Saul had the entire armies out trying to kill him. We didn't, we, didn't even, we didn't even get into all of those details. But he had to go through, he had to go through so much. I think it's a great reminder for us that there, there is no elevator to carry you to the purpose of God. There's only stairs. It's the only way you get there. The only way you get there is to walk it out. There is, there, there, is, there is no elevator. You just stand still and hit a button and it takes you right up, ding, you know, opens up and you just walk out into your purpose and into your destiny. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. If you want the moment of reigning, you got to be willing to go through the rain. You got to be willing to go through the storm. You got to be willing to endure the rejection. You got to be willing to endure the resentment. You've got to be willing to face all the moments that we've talked about. And then you really get to the next test because you think, man, when, I, when I'm reigning, I have arrived. When I get that crown, it's over. When I get that job, when I, when I get that position, when I get that title, when I get into that season of life, when, when, when it is complete and it is whole, in that moment when I'm really reigning, man, everything is going to be perfect. I've made it through all these other things. I've made it through these challenges. I've, I've faced that adversity. I've overcome my Goliath. I've taken the threats and the accusation. I've dealt with the resentment. I, I've been through it all, and now I am where I always dreamed of being. You know, coaches will tell you it's a whole lot easier to attain than it is to maintain. It's a whole lot easier to become a champion than it is to stay a champion. That's why you don't have many people doing it back to back to back to back. Because it's easier to get there than it is to stay there. 
So when you get to that place in life where you feel like I have finally broke through, I have finally arrived, this is what I've always dreamed of, this is what I've always wanted, what you need to know is now another test begins and that is how are you going to handle success when you have arrived? David, will you stay as humble as you were in the cave of Adullam hiding for your life? David, will you stay as hungry when you're walking around enjoying the pleasures of the palace, will you stay as hungry as you were when you were out there with those sheep? How will you handle success? Because some of us can fight through all those things to get to that moment, and we get to that moment, and we feel like we've arrived. We forgot what got us there. And we forget what gets us there. We begin to move in a backwards direction. We all have these moments. It's just life lessons from David. Life lessons from David. And all of these lessons can be applied to our life. All moments that you will have to endure. All moments that you're going to go through. Every single one of these moments that we mentioned, you will go through these moments. Nobody's exempt from any of these moments. You follow Jesus, you're going to go through these moments. You want to do something for God, you're going to go through these moments. These are all moments that we will have to go through. But we can go through these moments the right way, and we can have the right responses, and we can walk through it with the right attitude and with the right demeanor of always looking up, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, fixing our eyes upon the heavenly perspective, We can walk through it all and get where God's calling us to go. Why don't you stand with me tonight just for a moment. Let's just just close out with a moment of prayer. If you'll just bow your heads. The life of David. Israel's greatest king, the man that was after God's own heart. The man that Jesus would be associated with 19 times, called the son of David. Son of David. Story that starts in rejection. story that moves to a powerful realization. It's the moment of return. Oh, there's the rumbles. Don't forget the rumbles. The rumbles of intimidation. The rumbles of inadequacy. The rumbles of inaccuracy. The lies. The rumbles. The moments of reliance. When you're scared to death, but you got to run to the battlefield anyway. The moments of resentment. 
when the people that you thought would always be there for you turn against you. The people that helped you and the people that you helped. Now they're not looking at you with an eye of rejoicing. They're looking at you with the eye of jealousy. moment of remembrance when you remember yesterday's victory and it gives you faith and courage for today the moment of remembrance when you remember the victories of your past so that you can have hope for your future in the moments of reigning how will you handle success how will you handle it when you get to the place that you always dreamed of? How, how will you handle it when you get the crown? How, how will you handle it when you step into the palace? How will you handle it when the promise of God comes to pass in your life? Will you stay just as humble? Will you stay just as hungry? Will you keep doing everything that you did to get you there? as you stay there.